What is going on, people of the interwebs? Welcome to Season 2, Episode 11, otherwise known as Episode number 36 of the Reverend Babble Podcast. This is Cody Kelly. Hey, hey, what's up? It's Neil Huntley. We're just so happy that you come back to join us for another episode. Yeah, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing pretty awesome, man. How about you? I'm doing I'm doing well. Uh, it's a it's a good day. Uh, it's got had a you know hard day at work, but it's, it was a good hard day at work. You know what I mean? It wasn't oh like yeah, a, coming home and just knuckles dragging. I, my knuckles are covered in white paint. Uh, <laughs> we we were painting the football field today, getting ready for the uh, Wingate football game this Friday. Yes, yeah, you know they had a four game season this this spring. Yes, like, and uh, you know, like which is this really strange thing about? Oh, it's super strange. You know, f- right. for, for, for like entire football season, mean only four games. Four games. So they had two road, two road games, two home games. They had one this past Saturday, whooped up on Catawba. Yes, it was like thirty three to six or something like that. Yeah. Um, and then I'm not sure who they're playing this week. I think you said maybe Newberry. I think it is yeah, Newberry. I, yeah. Look, I paint the field. I don't. I don't keep up with who's playing. Okay. But I could be completely wrong on that one too. So. You know, so all the listeners who want to fact check that, you can fact check that, and and you can come back on Twitter and like roast us for getting that wrong. But, <laughs> yeah, sure. But, <laughs> but I, well, you know, for a fact that wing gets playing at least. Yes. Well, at least I, hopefully because we put the bulldog on the field, so hopefully they're playing. Okay, yeah. But <laughs> the field's looking hopefully. good. They got one more game this Friday for Easter weekend, and then that'll be it to the fall. Uh, but yeah, it's, that was that was a good day. I think I walked about five miles up and down a football field, which oh you know, wow, that's, that's tough to do. Yeah, and uh, it, but it's it's fun painting that football field, man, because you get to see the immediate immediate result of your hard work, you know, right? And all those stencils you put out, it just it's really fun to do, and it's oddly satisfying to you know with the with the paint gun going right. Oh yeah, it's really cool to see. But yeah, man, so that's that's what I did today. Um, but I guess what's new with me was, hey, I didn't fight a sickness this weekend. Hey, so, there you go. So, yeah, we, we ended the streak. We have finished the streak of either one of the two of us just, you know, either feeling sick or getting over something. Yeah, yeah I know. I feel like we had the streak like Undertaker at WrestleMania there for a little while, but finally yeah. I, I pulled out a Brock Lesnar and ended the streak. Okay, so we're good. There we're you go. Good. We're clear from that. Uh, but uh, I'm trying to think of anything we got into this weekend. Nothing much, really. Just had a really solid weekend at the house. I mean, That's good, we man. actually got up uh, Saturday morning and went down to Miss Allie's in Marshville. You ever been to Miss Allie's down there? I think I'm. I think I probably have once, but it was like so long ago that I can't. Yeah, it's, or, or it's, something like that. Like I can't really remember all of in, that. It's in that downtown was, Marshall. But. It's not this in the ad or anything. It's just it's no. a really good place to to go eat. And we actually all three of us, me, Amber, and Graham, went and sat down and had breakfast. You know, wow, nice. Which you know, poor poor Graham, bless his heart, he really don't know what it's like to sit at a restaurant, right? You know, because he was just a year old when this whole pandemic started. You know, right? And he, you know, he's just so used to just dad dad going to go get food and bringing it back. You know. But this weekend, we went and actually sat down and had a meal together at a restaurant, and it was perfect. You know, we, yeah. t- we took his to- took some toys. He sat in a booster seat. He got a little antsy, so we walked up and down, you know, downtown Marshall, which is about 10 steps to the left and 10 steps to the right. Yeah, pretty how much. Big it is. <laughs> and um, then we came back, had our breakfast, and had a solid morning just playing outside and just a really good day at the house, man. Well, that's pretty awesome, man. I mean, it sounds like you guys had a pretty awesome weekend. You know, like uh, being able to get outside and enjoy the nice weather. There you go. I mentioned weather. There you go. You know, like, <laughs> you know, there you go. I mentioned the weather again. You know, but it was, I'm sure, pretty nice to get out and just be outside because, you know, you know, because recently, whether it was due to COVID or just due to rain or whatever. Had to stay inside. You know, it's like, had to stay 
inside a bunch for sure. But like, as for me though, this past weekend, I spent a lot of it at the baseball mm-hmm. field because Wingett had a four game series against Carson Newman. Now I didn't go to the two games on Saturday, but I did go to the two games on Friday afternoon. And you actually go in there this afternoon after we get done recording, right? I actually am. Uh huh. Because we're playing uh Oman Abbey. I'm pretty sure. Is okay. The- is the name of the college that they're playing at five o'clock. So I'll yeah. be heading over down there just to watch the game for a little bit this evening. And I'll get to enjoy that. I mean, but like I really had a pretty good time last weekend. I got to talk to a few of the parents of some of the players, you know, like, because I haven't seen a lot of them in a while, you know, cause well, sure. They won a season last year. Mm-hmm. Well, that plus two, whenever I go to games at Wingate, I usually sit on just one of the picnic tables over by the clubhouse by myself. Not that I'm trying to be antisocial or anything. Yeah, you just don't like people, obviously. Right, yeah. <laughs> it isn't that I'm trying to be antisocial. It's just that I'm just not going to be there like the whole game. So I don't want to sit there and get stuck in a conversation with somebody for a long time. And then I got somewhere I, I got to be. And I don't want to be rude and just say, okay, bye, see you later. And then just, <laughs> you know, just up and leave them in the middle of a conversation. But I had a little bit more time on Friday to be able to talk to people and interact with some of the parents and all that kind of stuff you know so that was a lot of fun I enjoyed that I was also able to do a couple of morning services at the lift on Sunday so that was a lot of fun you know getting that much more camera experience and audio experience and all that kind of stuff so that was a lot of fun being able to do that and basically for this week I've just been doing school and recording podcasts and doing all that kind of stuff so Awesome, man. Well, yeah. cool deal. Well, I know we got a special guest coming up. Yes, uh, we do. For the Double Play Devo. So I will let you and him go ahead. I'll sit back and be really quiet. Okay. okay? It'll, be like <laughs> I, it'll be like I'm not even here. Okay. Okay, really? Yeah. I, yeah oh, wow. I mean, I'm going to be like a ninja over here. Okay. All right. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to sit back and listen to y'all for a little bit, and then we'll have some sports. All right, man. That sounds great. Let's do it. Yes, sir. All right, guys, what is going on? Welcome to this week's Double Play Devo. And this week's Devo is going to be a little bit different because for this week, I decided that, well, obviously weeks in advance, I, I talked to him about this, but like I decided that we would change things up again this week. And there were, you know, and there were obviously several people that I had on my mind, but this guy here was one of the first to say yes. And I'm very thankful that he did. And it is former Wingate University catcher, Andrew Llewellyn. What is going on, man? How's it going? Doing well, Cody. I appreciate you uh, reaching out to me and uh, giving me the opportunity to come on here and catch up and uh, kind of talk about some stuff that we, we're both really passionate about. I really like what you're doing with the podcast, and I'm really grateful grateful for the opportunity to be able to speak with you. Well, uh, well, thank you, man. That really means a lot to me, and I really – well, th- th- that really means a lot to me, and I really do appreciate you taking the time to, to, like I said, say yes and just come on, and we'll just be talking for a little bit. And I just really appreciate you taking the time to do this whole Zoom call thing. I know it was maybe a little bit complicated at first, but you know, because this whole thing was kind of complicated for me to kind of figure out how to get set up because this is the first like live interview of or, okay. or, or or like interview I've done with anybody on the Zoom call or really any major Zoom call I've done in general. So this is a test for me but obviously it's gonna be a lot of fun sitting here to talking to you about some stuff man i'm looking forward to it sure yeah but uh but i guess i just kind of want to get started by just kind of asking a little bit about you obviously you know since you're on the podcast this week or one of our special guests that we got on this week so so just kind of tell me a little bit about yourself you know like what was 
life like growing up? Where are you from? Kind of, you know, like kind of how things got going and obviously, and, you know, obviously how things kind of worked out with, you know, playing baseball and how all that kind of turned out to be too. So, yeah, I'm from uh, Richmond, Virginia. That's why I tell people because nobody knows where I'm, where I'm really from. It's a small town called Powhatan, Powhatan County. It's just outside of Richmond, about 30 minutes away. And so that's, I grew up there my whole life, lived in the same house, me and my uh, mom, dad, the dogs, and my sister. And so I uh, grew up there, came from a very, very faith-oriented and a very sports-oriented family. Both my parents played uh, multiple sports in college. Mom played basketball and volleyball. Dad played basketball and ran track. And that's where they met. They went to uh, Bridgewater College. It's a small oh, okay. school in, in Virginia. And so that's where they met. And then uh, they moved to Palatan right before they had me. And that's kind of where I've been my whole life and so I've always grown up in a household that athletics and uh and faith have always been very prominent in my life and it's kind of the two have gone together very much hand in hand uh kind of helped oh, yeah. make me not only the athlete I am now but the person I am I mean I've got great great parents and I definitely fall short in a lot of categories more often than not because uh, I mean we're definitely not perfect but I've got Absolutely. really good parents that have that have raised me the right way and I try to live the way they've kind of showed me how to every day and that's that instilled a lot in me to be able to move on. We'll talk about it later on about how I got to Wingate and uh, playing college baseball and everything. But it's that that started them starting me on that path kind of at a young age has really played a big part in shaping me into not only being able to have a successful college career, but also grow as a person throughout my life. And I still am. And it's still I mean, I had dinner with them last night and then we're still super close. And again, family values, it's big, a big thing. And I'm really, really fortunate to have that. I'm really thankful for it. Oh, for sure, man. Absolutely. You know, like faith and family and just having that really close relationship with your family. Like obviously, you know, like during the big, great times and during the low times too, that's obviously a really big thing to have. And, and um, like just having those really close relationships with your family and kind of helping, helping you stay grounded, not only with sports, but also with your faith too. That's a really big, important part of it. So that's really cool that you had and still have that closeness and relationship with your family that kind of helps you be on the right path and obviously when it comes to sports too that obviously was a really big thing for you too Mm -hmm. because both of your parents like you just said have a background in sports collegiate sports as well you know so that obviously kind of runs in the family obviously for sure but um you know and and plus too when it comes to a small town I can relate to Mm -hmm. living in a small town because uh you know like everyone's heard of wing university there's a little town called marshville that's about 10 minutes from there that the only reason people have heard of it is because of uh randy travis who is a country singer yep. that you know yep. you know like that's from there but like other than that like no one has ever heard of marshville and whenever they think of marshville they're like oh the place randy travis is from i'm like yeah the place that randy travis is from just because it's like a you know it's like you said it's, it's such a small town no one would really know what it is unless you're like from that area or you know whatever yeah. something like that you know definitely uh, definitely know where marshville is coming after you've been at wingate for a year or two yeah for sure Absolutely. is uh what is the the barbecue place down 74 i'm awful yeah. for not being able to remember remember the name of it is that technically right. in marshville or is that not too marshville yet um i would say that is technically in marshville because it's pretty okay. close yeah like to be honest it probably depends on who you ask i mean like it probably depends on who you ask i mean like if they're like living like in the actual city of marshville they Mm -hmm. probably wouldn't say that but if you ask me but if you ask me because i live you know i don't live in the actual city you know but i got a marshville Mm -hmm. address i live like it's like in the outskirts yeah no that's right 
I drive drive down there get get food with the guys after after practices all the time. So oh yeah, man, for sure. Familiar with the area makes it feel like home. That's for sure. I mean, Wingate. Oh yeah, that was a big reason. One of the bigger reasons why I came to Wingate. It felt it felt like home as soon as I got down there. Just it was a small small town feel, and I mean, it felt like felt like home as soon as I got on campus, and then four years later it's one of the best places I've ever been it's probably one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life was to accept the chance and the opportunity to come down there and play baseball and get an education oh for sure man absolutely so kind of talking about baseball and you kind of progressing to that level so like what made you decide that you wanted to like play baseball or, or just kind of pursue baseball like what was the thing that you just really love baseball more than like you know other sports so I, I grew up playing. So da- my dad played basketball, mom played basketball too. So obviously I was, I didn't have much of a say in that when I was going to have to play basketball at right. some point in my life. And I, <laughs> I enjoyed playing basketball and I did the typical, I played football growing up, played basketball, played baseball. So I was always doing sports year round. And I got, I stopped playing football in sixth or seventh grade and just played basketball and baseball. And then I actually picked up golf. My dad's a high school oh, really? golf coach. He was, a, yeah, he was a high school golf coach for a long time. Uh, before he stepped into an athletic director role and so I got into golf in middle school and then I so I played golf basketball and baseball all through middle school and then my freshman sophomore and junior years of high school and junior years when I kind of started to take off a little bit uh, baseball wise I uh, I grew and I put on some a little bit of weight uh, and I kind of like filled out I became less of an awkward baby giraffe running around a baseball field kind of <laughs> kind of knew what I was doing a little bit and I ended up uh the the facility I trained at and everything they have a really good uh kind of a top end travel program that like you have to try out for and so I tried out for that team and I ended up making it and so that's kind of where I got my first exposure to like high level talent like playing in these big tournaments all up and down the east coast right and everything and uh that kind of got my name out there to some schools and, and even then like I was always like I was never the guy that was like the big power hitter or anything in high school. I, I could really catch, I could really block, I could really throw. That was kind of how like I got on that team and the bat was just, it was what it was. If I hit well that day, I did. And if I didn't, I didn't. I, I knew I was always going to catch well. And so I played for that team. And then uh, I was doing the whole, like the recruiting circuit, like going to camps, taking visits and everything. I was actually down and I was at Winthrop for a camp and I got a call oh, really? from, yeah, it was a junior year, right before the start of my senior year, uh, uh, into my junior spring, basically. It's so right the, that that big summer. That's the big summer in recruiting, especially in that time because now it's not so much. Kids are already committed by that time. But I got a call that's uh, at the end of that summer, and uh, this is a, the best travel team in the country uh, needed a catcher. And so I mean they're. Ooh. Leave Leva Shield Canes. And so I took that opportunity immediately. And that's how I ended up going to Wingate. Ah. I played, I was, I was playing for them all fall. And uh, so at the time, Frank Jagoda was the pitching coach and recruiting coordinator there. Oh, for, uh, oh, for Wingate. Okay. Mm-hmm. He was yeah. there. He was at Wingate. And uh, the, the grad assistant was a trip folk. Frank, oh, is, really? uh, he worked, yeah, he works for the, uh, Jagoda works for the, for Tampa Bay now in their minor league system and then Tripp is a uh, scout for the A's but Tripp's dad is a, was a longtime scout for the Nationals Ooh. and so he was all these guys on my team that that team I was playing on in high school they had 
So there's like 22 guys on that team, and there's like 16 of them that got drafted out of high school. Wow. So all, all these games we're playing, all these pro scouts are there, and we're playing in a tournament in North Carolina. And uh, uh, Tripp's father knew that Tripp and Jagoda were looking for a catcher, and he came to watch one of our guys pitch. And I caught that day, and I caught really well. And so that was on a Saturday, and so we called him up, and he's like – there's a catcher. He's an hour and a half away. He's going to catch again tomorrow. Come watch him. And so I did, I had no idea about any of this until later on that next week. So I caught again on Sunday. I played pretty well. And uh, I get a call on Monday from uh, Coach Jagoda. And I'll be honest, he's, hey, man, I'm Frank Jagoda from Wingate University. And I was like, where? Like, I had never heard of it before. Right. I had, I had no clue. I had never really heard of it. And so I looked into it. And I, I mean, that first night we talked on the phone for almost two hours. Oh, wow. And so he, that was on a Monday. And he called me back on Wednesday and they offered me my scholarship and everything. And I told him, I was like, I got to get down to campus. I'd love to come see it. I'm really interested. And come, I came down that Friday. I visited Liberty. I visited Liberty on that Thursday. And I didn't, that wasn't really a good fit with their coaching staff. Kind of, it was a, I didn't really like it. And it's a weird, weird conversation. I got there and the guy was like, yeah, we could uh, cut you after your first fall or you might end up being our starting catcher as a freshman. I've got no clue. And just, it was a weird, a weird vibe. Like the weird vibe kind of going on. Yeah, it just it just didn't fit right. And so I went down to Wingate, and I wasn't really expecting anything. I didn't really know much about it. And I got down there, and it just, as soon as we got it, like driving into town, like pulling on the campus and stuff, I was like, I, like something about this feels right. Like this feels right. And I watched a practice and everything, and I'll, I'll never forget this. We, like, Coach, I hung out with the catchers during practice and everything, and then practice got done, and Coach Gregory, Coach Jagoda, and my, me, my mom, and my dad, we sat down on those, uh, that little brick wall up by the concession stand. Yeah. That overlooks the field, and we sit down, and we're talking and stuff and everything, and I told my parents before I talked to the coaches, but, like, he's asking me if I've got any more questions, and I was like, no, sir. He's like, I want to be, and he's like, so, like, where are you at? And I was like, I want to be a bulldog, and he looked at me funny. And he's like, like, you, you want to be a what? And I was like, I want to be a bulldog. I'd like to commit. And I was like, I don't really know how this works. Like, is that what I tell you? Like, how do, how do I go about this? Right. And he was like, yeah. He's like, we've just never had somebody that we've that quickly. He's like, well, yeah, well, he said they never offered anybody over the phone. So I was one of the first guys that they've offered over the phone like that in a setting where they like, like typically they see somebody at a camp or like at a game or something. Cause a lot of the guys are local. So they can get them on campus that next day. Like it's, it's the right. people are around a lot more. I was five hours away in a different state. And so he didn't like, I don't think he was expecting me to commit that soon, but like, I knew it like after like talking with them and everything, I just, it felt right. And again, best decision I made. I mean, it was perfect. I mean, it was a great fit. Oh, yeah. I was able to come in. I was able to come into a program that's got history and a history of winning the culture's been was unreal when I got there and it's been it's unreal still now like those guys like that's a big thing just being able to leave the the jersey that's on your back better for the guy who's going to put it on his right the next, the next person that wears your number and so like that that was instilled in us from day one and I spent in this four of the best years of my life in there so far and hopefully hopefully I look back 20 years from now and I was like, yeah, for those were four of the best years, but the next 20 are going to be even better because of the things I experienced there. Like, I mean, I've made the friends I made there, the relationships I built through baseball and on campus and everything. It's, it was unreal. I absolutely loved every second of it. Yeah. I mean, well, like, yeah, I mean, well, like for me, I was 
I, I was helping out with the team, I think, through your sophomore to your senior year. I was there for your last three years, I think. Yeah, I went there so, your freshman sophomore year. year. Sophomore year was your first year, yeah. Yes, and like uh, just seeing you had really great chemistry with the pitchers. Like for me, at least from what I could tell, it didn't matter who was pitching. You and the pitcher, both of y'all always had really great communication and just the whole team chemistry from when I was there, it just all seemed like it really clicked together. And I could tell you that you were really enjoying it and just enjoying the connections, like you said, that you've made with a lot of players down there that you still have obviously to this day and you know and like that's obviously a really awesome experience man and like obviously I was really happy that you came to wing it and play for us you know those are pretty uh great years to watch for sure yeah, they were fun it was, yeah. fun. It was actually coach Gregory got his 300th win a few weeks back yeah and I texted him and I just shot him a text like hey we we keep in touch every now and then he actually facetimed me over quarantine in the middle of making dinner he just FaceTimed me out of nowhere. We had talk and we sat on the phone and talked for an hour. It was awesome. And that's nice. that, that just that just goes back to the point of like the relationships you build. And I'll be he'll be the first one to tell you and I'll be the second one. We butted heads plenty. Oh yeah. Like you can't you you can't not with a head coach in that situation because it's his it's not his job to make you happy. It's his job to get the best out of you and make you make you want to be the best baseball player you can. Right. But more importantly, make develop you as a young man. And so, like, that's the, – the the year's 18 to 22 in your life. That's – you're away from home for the first time. You're facing a lot of new stuff, and you're on your own. Like, you've got your teammates and stuff like that, but, like, at the end of the day, like, you're doing a it's lot of you. things on your own, and you have to be accountable for that, and you have to be accountable for a lot. And it's really easy to let that slip. And he was – he was always on me to make sure I was accountable about everything I did. And I'm – as much as – in the moment, I might have not liked it, I'm extremely grateful for that today because it's helped me helped me in my career as a coach, as a very young coach right now, and it helped me in my playing career immensely. For sure. And like kind of going back to the way we kind of started this conversation, that was just another avenue of just having that one other way just to make you stay on the right track and everything like that, you know. So that was another way of showing that. And plus, too, like you said, that's helping you throughout, you know, your post-playing career now with your uh, uh, coaching career as well and kind of transitioning past that into your coaching period. So how did you end up getting involved in coaching and like, where did that path start and like to where you're at right now? So it, uh, it, it started my, it started with my dad 20 years ago. We'll backtrack to that story into that one, but it started uh, kind of this, this path started for me, like personally, uh, senior year, I knew that like my goal was to continue to play baseball after college. Like that was what I wanted to do, and it was a very, it was a very viable option. I'll, we'll, we'll touch on that here too in this story. It kind of all comes full circle, but uh, I mean, getting interest from from teams coming out of high school, uh, going into college, and everything like that, and then just kind of going through that whole process of the questionnaires, talking to scouts, and everything. And I was by no means some top prospect that these guys were just banging down the door to come give me six figure signing bonuses. Like I wasn't like that uh -huh. wasn't the deal or I'd still, I'd still be season and some things kind of fell in place the way, the way that I hoped they would. Um, and so knowing that I knew it wasn't a done deal by any means. And so I needed to have a backup plan. And so that's where dad comes in. So VCU has a graduate program. So it's a master's 
and uh, educate. It's a, it's a master of sports leadership is what it's called the center for sport leadership at VCU. And it's partnered with the business program. And like, that's kind of the business school is kind of the umbrella and the CSL falls underneath of it. And my dad was actually part of the very first graduating class of this program when it first started 20 years ago. Oh, wow. There's some people that are still here. Uh, Greg Burton, he runs all of our media and communications stuff for the center for sport leadership. And he's a professor as well. He teaches a couple classes, but he was, he was there when dad was there. And so I knew that like, I wanted to get my master's. I wanted to get into coaching. And the best way to be able to do that is becoming a graduate assistant somewhere. And so the grad assistantship, basically you go work for the team and they've got money to pay for you to be able to get your master's. They pay for your tuition. It's the same, same way the scholarship at Wingate works for baseball right. players. And they have money set aside for grad assistance. And so I went through that whole process and I had some contacts still in the program. And so I kind of was able to get a bit of an inside scoop on what they were looking for before I applied and everything. And then I kind of just went through that process of all of it. And then uh, right towards the end of the season, I found out that I had gotten in, I got accepted nice. into the program. And so I think I was finishing up the year with everything, with all of that. And then we didn't, we didn't make the regional. We had a couple tough losses there, the conference tournament, and then having to go play North Greenville twice number two yeah. team in the country to end the year and played played some really good games at the back end I think we just came up a game or two short in the long run but I kind of got all that stuff set up because the draft isn't until the middle of June each year and right. so basically I had I had all of this stuff set up with the center for sport leadership and basically told them like hey there's a decent chance I get drafted and I can't come like I'm not gonna be able to do this and so basically what they let you do they let you defer your acceptance for a year Okay. And so I, I told him that like, if I get drafted, I'm going to defer it for a year. And then if I can maybe, if like I have a good, good first season in rookie ball and see what happens, then I'll just, I'll wait. Like I'll reapply later on. Right. But if not, that if not, I get to play for a year. And if I can't cut it, I can't cut it. I've got a great grad program to come back to end up draft comes around the uh, basically there's a couple teams that I had really talked to a good bit in my senior season and the Rockies ended up being the ones that were the most heavily interested in me. So the way like that scouting stuff works, you have your area scout and then the guy above him is like the area supervisor. And then the guy above him is the cross checker, the cross check, like the guys below the cross checker basically say, Hey, like we should follow this guy. And then they come and watch him again. And they're like, we should really follow this guy. And then the cross checker, basically he literally the name of his title, he cross checks him. He check like, he comes and watches and he's like, well, yeah, we like this guy. Okay. Then he's, he's the one that kind of has some say in the uh, draft rooms during the draft and everything. And so that last game at home, when we played North Greenville, yes, the Rockies, the Rockies cross checker was there that game. And there was a, there's actually oh, really? a few scouts. Yeah. There's a few scouts there because North Greenville's pitcher ended up getting drafted. The lefty, they started that day. Oh yeah, that's I right. He, yeah. He ended up getting picked up because all the scouts were there to watch him. And I had a really good game. I turned him around for a double off the wall in, the, in my first A-B. And I caught well. Didn't Nobody ran or anything, but I caught really well. And so kind of like it was really – was, that's a tough conversation to have because the emotions after that game, because I knew it was going to be my last game on that field, right. more than likely my last game that I ever played at Wingate, like in, a, in the blue and gold. And so 
and like talking to coach Gregory about it and just like seeing what they're thinking. And like, it was kind of out of my hands at that point. I'd done everything I could do. Um, and then the draft rolled around and I had been talking to the guy and there wasn't really much set in stone. He told me, he's like, we put your name in. It's kind of out of our hands at this point. It's the higher ups decision now. And so the first two days of the draft are like rounds one through nine. And then the second day is the rest of it. It's 10 through 40. Or right. third day, excuse me. It's 10 through 40. So I got a call. They, they start drafting at noon on that Wednesday. I get a call at like 11.55 from the Rockies guy. And I'm like, well, this is, is interesting. Right. It's yeah, I was about to say, whoa, what's going on? So, yeah, the day three of the draft, Colorado Rockies are calling me before, the, before they start taking people. And he calls me and he's like, hey, Andrew, how are you? And I'm like, I'm doing well. Like, how's it going? He's like, it's going well. He's like, are you healthy? Like, yes, sir, I am. He's like, do you want to play baseball for the Colorado Rockies? Yes, sir, I do. And he's like, all right, it's going to be for like a couple thousand bucks. It's going to be really late, like rounds 35 through 40. It's like, it's not completely done yet, but like, it's, it's probably going to happen. He's like, just right. stay by the phone. We're going to give you a call a little later on today. And I'm like, awesome. And so like, I called my parents and told them, I was like, like, I'm not getting my hopes up about this right now. Like, I don't, I'll believe it when they call my name. So I went about my day. I went and got a lift in, worked out with the guys over at the place I was training at, at the time. And the draft was rolling and we get to like round like 32. And I'm like, literally, I'm, we've got it up on the TV in the gym. We're just seeing the picks scroll through. So basically what it was, the Rockies had four catchers and they were going to use three picks. And so it was me and three other guys and they were going to use three picks in the last five rounds to take those, to take three of the four of us basically. Right. And so it, uh, it, get down to it. And I, I actually drove home cause I didn't, I didn't have a good feeling about it and I didn't want to be there. I wanted to be home if I didn't get the call. So I drove home and like the, the last five rounds ended as I was on the way home and I'm like refreshing it as I'm driving home and nothing happens. Oh man. So I get, I, I get home and like, I was talking to my dad about it and everything. And like, it just, it was really tough. I mean, it was tough, especially with the getting the call that morning and right. just all day, the anticipation waiting around and all of that. And it didn't happen. They ended up calling me the next day and we're like, Hey, like we went a little different direction. And I asked why I was like, like, could you tell me why? Like, I'm, I mean, it's not going to uh -huh. hurt. The worst thing, the, the worst thing they tell me is like, no, we can't tell you. So what it was is they, uh, they're the guys that kind of make the decisions in those draft rooms are really hesitant on taking a chance on a D2 guy uh, because like they don't think the pitching translates. So they think the numbers, like the hitting numbers can be a little skewed uh, in like division two conferences, which they can be at times. I mean, you saw uh -huh. some of the teams we, we, you saw some of the teams we played, they didn't have very good arms, but then you right. saw a lot of the teams we played that were, that were running out guys on Friday night that could pitch in any mid-major conference. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, well, like for instance, your last game, you play against North Greenville and they're one of the best yeah. division two programs in the yeah. country. So exactly. They've got, they've got guys that have been SEC all Americans on that roster and guys that are fifth or sixth round arms that we're seeing on a regular basis. Like they're running out three of those dudes a game to beat us. And so right. that was the level of competition we played at, but it just, in the big scheme of things that didn't really get factored in on their end. And I'm glad it didn't like at this point right now, like in the moment I was really, like, I was really like, it, it hurt. It was really tough to kind of stomach that. But I also, I realize now that like 
all of this has happened because God has a plan for me and my life. He has a plan for everybody's life. Absolutely. And it's, it's not really up to us to kind of determine that it's, it's already predetermined. He's written it. And it's just the things that happen, the ups, the downs, highs, lows, in-betweens, everything. It's, it's our job to kind of go with it and take what life gives us. And then as we progress through that, you end up getting the opportunities that you didn't necessarily think you wanted or needed, but are what's best for you. And that's what's happened with me now. Like I, I knew I wanted to stay in baseball and I wanted to play, but that didn't happen. But I had a backup plan and it was to right. get into grad school and I got into grad school and that opened up the door to be a graduate assistant at VCU. And I didn't start like, so that we'll get, we're kind of coming, coming to the present time now. So I started at uh, Randolph-Macon actually oh. as a, uh, in, in the fall, because the VCU job had already been filled before oh. I like was able to reach out. And so basically I, I started at Randolph-Macon in the fall and I was only there for like a month. And then our head coach, Sean Stifler at VCU, I walked into class one day because all the uh, athletic coaches offices are in the same building as my classroom. Oh, nice. And so I walk in there one day and one of my professors was like, hey, Stiff wants to talk to you. I was like, okay, like, not sure what about. And so I get a text later that day. He's like, hey, Andrew, this is Sean Stifler, head coach of VCU. Uh, could you come by the diamond today? I'd like to run some stuff by you. So I go over there and he basically offered me just this, they needed asks and everything like that and he was going to be able to give me money towards my grad degree and so that was a tough conversation I had to have with my head coach at Randolph-Macon because I wasn't making any money at Randolph-Macon like he, they weren't able to pay any of the tuition and regular college is expensive and so is grad school <laughs> right it's, yeah it's not cheap getting degrees isn't cheap that's for sure no and so the opportunities I kind of had to bet on myself a little bit because the way they laid out the job for me in the fall at the beginning of the fall, it was not like I was, I had a lot more, like I was going to get a lot more experience at Randolph-Macon because I was going to be, I was the second assistant coach. I was coaching the catchers, help with the hitters and coaching first base, like all of that stuff. Oh, wow. And then I go from that to that VCU basically being just a manager, like kind of just helping out around the field. But I knew what I was kind of good at because I had a lot of experience and in doing summer internships with that travel team I actually played for. Uh, handling operations and logistics and like all the coaching stuff like that. And like, I, I knew, I knew what I was good at, what my skill set was. And I knew there would be opportunity there to kind of prove myself to our head coach and like earn some more responsibilities. And so by the time the spring had rolled around, I had worked, I worked my tail off and I was, I was made the director of baseball operations for the spring. So I went nice. from help, helping set up the field to the director uh, the of, yeah. of, of everything yeah, yeah. Wow. So helping set up to helping set up the field every day and making sure the gates were locked to now i'm in charge of coordinating all team meals all of our travel like the logistics the practice plans all of that stuff like that was on my plate now right so that was spring that was spring of 2020 and then obviously we only played 17 games season got cut short and i didn't really know what i was going to do because like i didn't know if like i hadn't cultivated a strong enough relationship yet with the coaching staff. Cause I hadn't, I'd only been around him for a couple months and I was a, right. I was a new guy. I'm young. I'm 10 years younger at least than everybody in that locker room. And I just hadn't really built that relationship up yet. And so, but luckily I worked, I worked hard because I mean, that's, it's always what I've been taught to do. It goes back to my, like my family and like kind of how everything started. It's 
anything I want to do, I can do it as long as I'm going to do the work. Like nothing's going to ever be handed to me. Like all, all right. these opportunities are going to have to come because I was able to earn them. And so I, I worked. I just went to work, kind of put my head down and grinded through a lot of it and learned a lot in the process. Cause I like a big thing with like stuff like that, like the intricacies of the behind the scenes of baseball that you don't see, like head coaches are very particular about how they want things done because it's how they like it. It's how they operate. Right. The things they have to handle are in such a big scope. Like when one little thing is out of whack, it causes them undue stress. It's like they don't need to do, like they don't need to deal with that. And so it was a big learning curve for me, getting to know him, getting to know the other coaches and kind of handling that. But I kind of just went it, went in head first and uh, was able to progress my position into that spring. And I called our head coach uh, kind of towards the end of my classes once we went all online. And I had six hours left. So the way the master's program works, you take 15 credits in the fall, 15 in the spring, and then you take six in the summer, or you're supposed, okay. to, take six in, supposed to take six in the summer. Uh, and those last six credits are just working hours. You work 400 hours and document your work and write a paper at the end of it. Oh. And that's it. That's, that's how you finish your degree off. And uh, I called him and I was basically, I was like, hey, coach, I'd really like to talk to you about what I need to do to be able to stay on the staff at VCU. And his response, I was, I was very nervous about this call. Like I was, like I right, was dreading, yeah, I bet. dreading it. Like, cause I was fully anticipating him saying like, Hey, we don't, we don't really have space for you. There's going to be somebody new coming in in the next class and all of this. And that's a, the complete opposite of what happened. I called him to ask what I needed to do to keep, to like, to keep my job. And his response was, what do I need to do to keep you? Oh, wow. And so, so that was a testament. That's pretty cool. So the, yeah. And like, it flipped, it flipped my mood about that conversation real quick. Yeah. Sure. And just, and that's just a testament to being able to work hard and not being afraid to fail. I messed plenty of stuff up. I got yelled at plenty of times for, for messing things up, whether it was because I didn't take care of something on the front end like I like forgot about, or I didn't realize it. Like I didn't know because I had never done it before, but uh, one of our big sayings uh, at VCU is you have to be ready to be ready. And it just basically means there's no such thing as a first time. Like you, you're here for a reason and you have to be able to execute whatever it is. It's more so for the guys on the field, obviously, because you don't get recruited to play baseball at a high level if you don't understand what it takes to succeed at that level. And it's no right. different with coaching, running operations, any of that stuff. And so like, just because it was my first time doing it was not an excuse to get, to let it get messed up because everything has to, had to be done right. And so it's stressful. It's plenty stressful at times, and I still do deal with that a lot. But my relationship with him and the other coaches has grown so much. We're all extremely close now. Better the side of just baseball are really good too, and so that kind of led me into the fall, and I was handling all of the same stuff I kind of was uh, in the spring, uh, the 2020 spring when we got canceled. And then uh, the guy who was the volunteer assistant coach, which is my current position now, okay. he had been there for like eight years. Well, he'd been a volunteer for eight years. I think it was his fifth year at VCU. So he's 30, 31. He, I get a, we had practice one day and I get like, I was lifting beforehand with one of the other coaches. And he was like, Hey, like, I, I don't say anything, but like this, like, I want this to be on your like 
in the back of your head in case it comes like comes to like fruition or anything, but he might be leaving to go take oh, wow. a different job. And so I was like, okay. And it worked out well, that guy, he coached the catchers. He was a catcher in college and he was a catching coach. And so it worked out well. You've got a guy who caught for four years in college, really knows the, knows the position, who's ready to step in. And so that night our head coach called me and he was like, Hey, uh, Tut, Coach Tut was the guy that left. He was like, Tut's leaving. He's taking a different job. He's like, would you be like, would you be interested in stepping into his role? And I was like, 100%. Yeah. And so that happened right before the spring season started. And so I took, so I technically have two jobs. It's kind of funny. If you look at, if you look at the website on there, they've got me listed twice in the staff directory. Right. Was, which is actually and, something, which is actually something that I noticed because I was looking at you on mm -hmm. the roster, like right before the season started. Yeah. Because I heard I'm you on were there. still there because one page says you're the, one page says you're the director, like you were mm -hmm. season before. And then the nerd page says you're a volunteer coach. Yeah. So that's, I'm, I'm both, I'm doing both. It's uh, it was kind of, it was way too last minute to be able to try to find somebody uh, else to do, do the operational stuff. And I'm already really in depth with it and kind of have a good system going, right. which is a huge testament to coach Tuck. Cause that's what he did when he first started. And he, he showed me the ropes, got me going on everything. And a lot of the stuff I do now he started and I've kind of just taken it and ran with it, adapted it where I needed to, but it was a really good base to start with and it set me up for success. And so that's pretty cool. man. Yeah. So, so I handle all of that. So like my, like my day to day with the team, we always lift the coaching staff lifts. It's funny. It's like our staff meeting in the morning. We've got a wait, we've got a weight room over there at the diamond. And uh, we get there, practice starts around one. We've got two managers that come set it up around 12. And so we get in there like nine o'clock in the morning, especially with COVID and everything. We don't ever go to our offices anymore. Cause no right. one's over there. Like, like nobody does in-person meetings. You can't go like whole reason to be over there. So you can talk to people and like interact with your coworkers. You can't right, do that but there's no one there. So yeah, everybody's working from home. And so we just, we've basically, the diamond is our office now. And so we go over there. We've got our like coaches locker room and everything. And we got, we get there between eight and 10, just about every morning as we all roll in and look up about 10 30, everybody's in that weight room, getting a lift in. And uh, we just kind of talk about the day through there. And then we go through practice, uh, get practice done. And then we talk about what's, what the next day looks like afterwards in the office. And then uh, I send out, so the guys get uh, daily announcements with, what like what practices that day like what other stuff they have to do like this year it's COVID testing every day it feels like right um <laughs> and all that stuff and then um like what they're wearing that day for practice what the next couple of days look like and then the practice plan like this is what we're going to do at practice today right. so I send that out like that's a big chunk of what I do is coordinate all of like team communications anything that needs to get texted to the guys I send that and then it kind of ran us through the fall and then the spring started and it's, I took over, uh, I we, I coach the catchers now. So I've got, I work with them every day. I help the hitting coach with the hitting stuff. I throw BP almost exclusively now because I throw yeah. BP apparently the guys really like it. And so like all of our pregame, all of that stuff, I take care of that. Oh, that's and all you. the meal. Yeah. All the meals and the travel and everything. I always make sure they're, they're fed fed well that's for sure they eat oh yeah if we 
if, the, if even if we lose, the boys are always going to eat good. That's for sure. Nice. So take take good care of them there. And then other than that, it's just kind of like networking when we're on the roads, like getting to know uh, new coaches, meet new people, and all of that stuff. Kind of grow my network through that because I'm in a I'm in an area I wasn't really in before. Like I was never in this like the D1 mid major program. Like a, a few of them know me from recruiting me in, when I was in high school, but a lot of those guys are at different schools now, uh, coaching at different places and stuff. So it's just being able to grow my network because it's not really about what you know. A lot of times in this industry, it's about who you know. Right, know yeah. Right, being able to know the right people can help you get another job later on because I don't want to be a volunteer assistant coach my whole life. I don't get – Right, of course. So like it's not, it's not a uh, paid position, which kind of the uh, – like the path for me, this is it. Like this is where I wanted to be starting in starting in the fall of 2021. And I was able to do that eight months earlier. Like I, it started in January. I was hoping to find a, a volunteer assistant coach either at VCU if it presented itself or at another school once I finished my second season with the VCU team and had some more experience. And then it worked out well. I was able to start that eight months early kind of in my timeline of things at a great program with unreal history and with a great staff that – they're going to push me to be the best coach I can now and help me learn and grow like, and in my experiences and everything and be able to be impactful either at VCU in the same role, uh, progressed like a promote progressed role or at another school at some point, if that time comes. And so it's, it's awesome. I love it. And I love, I mean, I love every second of it. It's fantastic. And we're, we started off a little rough this year, but we're right. kind of picking it up a little bit now. I think we're uh, 12 and 10. Okay. Right now, so we ain't got, too bad, man. No, no, we start. Ain't we too started bad. off like we started off like one and six, I think. Ooh, so yeah. It was, it was a rough start, so we kind of put ourselves in a hole, but we've played well since then. So it's uh got a lot of season left. We're like a third of the way through. I mean, like, which is honestly kind of crazy to think about now, considering how short last season was. It seems like, oh wow, mm-hmm. we actually still have a lot more season left to yeah. play because you know like thinking back about everything last year but like that's obviously a really awesome story about how you just got to I mean it's like you kind of had your own plan of you know what you wanted to do or kind of where you wanted to be being drafted playing in the minors kind of see how that works out you know and then kind of go from there you know but it's kind of like you said earlier you know like God always has a plan for how things work out You, you know because it's like Obviously, I'm sure, you know, like looking back on it now, it's really awesome what happened. And that was obviously a God thing, too. But, you know, back when you were graduating college and thinking about the draft and all that kind of stuff, I'm I'm sure you didn't picture yourself in this exact situation back two years ago. But it ended up, like you said, too, kind of being the best thing that could have happened because now you're in a position that you didn't think you would be, like you said, you know, like you're in this position even before you thought you would be in this position. And now you, in a way, kind of have a head start on your coaching career, on your, you know, like on your coaching career and just your, in just your career in baseball in general, you know, like obviously not the way that you had envisioned it going, but now it's going in a direction to where you're kind of looking back on it now and saying, oh yeah, like this was the way that it was supposed to go. And, you know, like, you know, that kind of goes back to like the very beginning of our interview, just saying, you know, like having that uh, big foundation of faith, just God and that faith in Jesus, just really, you know, like it really sets your focus on 
despite what things happen, it, it always is going to work out the best way. And I think you can definitely uh, testify to that, that even though things may not have gone the way, exactly the way that you thought it would, which, you know, that hardly ever happens in life anyway. I think, you know, both of us can say that, Very you know, true. but like that all worked out. So, I mean, that's pretty awesome, man, for sure. I mean, that's definitely a pretty cool story there, man. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, I know we'll, we'll touch on the faith, the faith aspect of this here soon, I'm sure, but it's, I mean, there's, there's plenty of times, especially in college, like, like you don't, like, it's really easy to kind of get ahead of yourself and put a lot of weight on things in the moment that seem like they're so impactful and like, it takes a while. It took me a while and I'm still, it's going to take me a a long time too to understand that like, you got to step back. Like you got to be able to step back and kind of look at things outside of your own personal perspective and realize like, yeah, I went over four today and I came back to my dorm room and I feel like I'm the worst baseball player ever. No, I'm getting an education for almost essentially free. I get to hang out with 40 of my best friends every day and I get to play baseball. Right. Like if you look at the numbers of it, like the percentage of people that get that opportunity to do that at the college level it's minuscule it's so small and like when you're able to transition from like oh this happened to me to I'm grateful for the opportunity to learn from this like that's when you like when you're able to put your life in that perspective it just it makes things it makes life easier and it might not be easy like actually like the things you're still dealing with are very hard and very important oh yeah like personally you can be more at peace knowing that like as long as I'm doing what I'm supposed to, I'm going to be able to be in a good spot. Right. And like, uh, just having that perspective on life, I mean, like, obviously life's not going to be easy either way, but just having that perspective on life, like you said, it can make living life easier knowing that even though things may not go according to plan all the time, as far as the plan for us, it is according to things that go on in our life does go according to a plan. And even though it's not our plans, God's plan, but just having that in mind, like you said, it, it makes living life so much easier. And it, that perspective of just it, it being that simple really kind of brings the stress levels down a little bit or really just does. the pressure down a little bit. Yeah. Pressure is completely imposed on ourselves. Absolutely. Like, like you, all of that is completely put on ourselves and it's completely natural. It's a completely natural thing to like, as a human, as a human being, as an athlete, as a person, as a friend, as a boyfriend, a husband, a father, anything like that. Like it's all of that pressure while it, sometimes it's warranted, it's completely self-imposed. And so when you're able to kind of step outside of that and look, look at it from a different perspective and realize like, I'm putting this pressure on myself and that's causing me to underperform or that's causing me to fall short in an area of my life. And then you can step away from that and you can look and see like, well, I don't have to put that pressure on myself. Like I'm very, I'm able to do everything I need to do to succeed at this. Like I have all of the resources, I have all of the skill set, or the talent or the hard work, the determination to be able to do all of this. And once you step back and you can see that, you just let it fly. Like you, you can right. completely completely change how you go about things when you can do that and it's it's a lot easier said than done but once you can kind of start that process and just just literally i mean let it fly is a really good a good way to to kind of say it but you can just go 
like and just and it kind of all falls into into place as it's going through like like my story is a good testament to that like I didn't know a year ago that I was going to be an assistant coach at 23 years old for a team that it has un, unreal tradition as a mid-major program, a team that was in a was two ends away from a World Series five years ago right. as a school out of the Atlantic 10 Conference. Like, like, I'm in a really good place, and that's because a lot of things fell into place for me, and, like, you have to kind of speak that stuff into existence with that. Like, it would have been really easy for me to just sit around, like, ah, I'll get a job. Like I know a couple of people, I'll get one, but that complacency is kind of when you end up falling short and then things kind of tumble the opposite direction of where you want them to be. Right. So it's, it all, everything, everything happens for a reason. I'm a big believer in that. And that reason is because it's written and God's got a plan for it all. And so we kind of just got to, you got to go with it and whatever happens, happens. You got to take the punches when they come and get right back up and get after it. Oh, I mean, well, like you basically took the words right out of my mouth on that woman. I mean, that's absolutely right for sure. You know, and like, that's obviously just a really cool story and a testimony that you can just share to other people. Obviously you just shared it with me and all the listeners who are listening this far, but you know, like that's the purpose of why we go through what we go through is to tell other people about and how they've changed us. They can change other people too. So that's pretty awesome. That's, and that's a big, that's a big part of coaching too. Like, like, yeah, it's really cool to be the the big name assistant coach or the head coach that's making a lot of money. And like you see all of those guys, but for every person that you see that's making that six-figure salary, being a head coach at an SEC school, or the recruiting coordinator at LSU that's making half a million dollars a year, like you don't see the hundreds of kids that guy's impacted in his, in his lifetime. Because like even for me, like I was a kid that couldn't hit in high school not many people were willing to take a risk on a kind of skinny catcher that could throw. Uh, Coach Gregory did. And now because of that, look where I'm at. Right. And that's the impact that in this profession, in this industry, and through the sport of baseball, we're able to have on people. Like you can, you can impact people so, so greatly just by how you interact with them and like giving them the time of day, giving them the opportunities to be a part of something that they may not have been a part of before and all that. And that's an opportunity I was granted at Wingate through coach Gregory and coach Shigoda who recruited me there. And it's something I'm trying to pay for. That's a big thing. We had to talk about that a lot in a couple of my classes in uh, the CSL. And I was able to, I get, got me good grades for one, uh, <laughs> which was nice. That's always, always a plus, but oh, yeah. uh, one of my final papers was kind of like what I wanted to be like what I wanted to create my identity as in my profession, in my industry. And I wrote this big, long paper and basically wrote itself. Like once I sat down to write it, like it just, boom, it flew. And it was because it's something I'm passionate about. And then basically the gist of the paper was, I want to be somebody that's able to have an impact on people's lives and give people opportunities the same way people impacted my life and be the person that's able to not only have a good relationship with people, but share my story, my message, my faith with people who are willing to listen and who want to be part of that and impact the game of baseball as much as I can. It's all about giving back to like, like I talked about with the Jersey, like Thomas Spitz wore number eight before me at Wingate. I got a call asking what, asking what number I wanted to wear before I got to school. And that wasn't, a lot of guys didn't get that opportunity. Like that wasn't a lot of the freshmen came in and they had like, big high numbers like 52 and stuff like that right and 
I wanted to wear number eight because the guy that gave that to me in high school was somebody I looked up to a lot. And then Spitz, I looked up to a lot too. Like, oh yeah. Coming to games, seeing him as a senior and everything. Like he was somebody I looked up to and I understood what that Jersey meant to him, what putting Wingate on the front meant to him. And I wanted to be able to carry on that legacy and leave that better for the next person. And I'm still trying to do that through coaching. Like I want to be able to impact every person I'm able to have a conversation with, even if it's two seconds, a brief, a, just a brief, Hey, how are you? Or being able to dive in on a conversation like this uh, and kind of really d- dig deep into the message and like the experiences I'm able to share with people and just, hopefully it makes a, makes them, it makes their day better. It makes their life better. And just, if I can do, if I can say I did that for one person, that's success to me. Like, as long as I can kind of continue to share and grow my faith and the game and kind of tie it all together, like that's, that's what I want to be able to do. Right. Absolutely. And uh, there is one thing that I do want to say about that. And I'm going to brag about you for a minute. Because, you know, like we mentioned earlier, uh, my first year there was in your sophomore year. Mm-hmm. And it was the last home game of your uh, of the sophomore year. And I remember my dad, like, came onto the field and he was, like, taking pictures with me and a few other players. And you were one of the other people that I took a picture with. And one thing that I remember was uh, it, it was either that night or it was either later that night or the next morning. I can't remember. But you posted – that picture of me and you and I've got it, I've got it right here. Oh, you do? Actually, okay. Yeah. yeah. I was about to yeah. say, Oh, that's awesome, I, man. For I sure. Sent it. I don't mean to cut you off, but I sent it. Oh that no, out. you're good. It's uh, I've got a friend of mine. It's a girl I've been hanging out with. Uh, and she asked me what I was doing. You just texted him. We've been, been talking for a while now. And I sent that to her. I sent her like the whole Instagram post. And I told her, I was like, Hey, I'm about to hop on this podcast with a, a good friend of mine from Wingate and I kind of told her your story and everything and she she loved it and I I was so glad that like she asked because it made me think about that picture to go back and find it I'm gonna, right. I'm gonna post it again after we get off of this oh well, thank uh, you man just because I mean this is this has been awesome uh but yeah no I mean just that I mean that was that experience to see how you grew uh being around the team and everything and now you're you came, I mean, I, like I said in the post, you came to us and you could, it was very hard for you to be able to have a conversation with somebody and like you struggled with that greatly. And now you have 70 episodes of a podcast, out, man. <laughs> like it's, it's amazing to see how much, how much you grew in that time and the impact we were able to have on you. And I know that was a small part of it, but like, not only that, but like you, the value you were able to add to us uh, it being there every day, helping out with practice, keeping your charts, being in the dugout, your passion for, for us was unmeasurable. And it was, I mean, it was amazing, man. Absolutely amazing. I'm so fortunate. So fortunate. I was able to have that and that we still have this relationship now that we're able to sit down Absolutely. and talk about all of this and continue to spread messages and like, like that and experiences because you never know when the next person, because as much as we impacted you, you impacted me, you impacted us a lot because it gave us such a good perspective on everything about what we were going through every day and how baseball is important. There's a lot more important stuff than baseball at some points. And the importance of baseball gets magnified when you're able to take that and impact somebody else's life through it. And that's what, what we were able to do with you and what you were able to do with us, man. It was an amazing experience. Oh yeah, man. Like for sure. And like during those four years I was down there, those last three years with you, you know, like, that was really like the first big chance for me that I had to like really uh, grow 
like, you know, you know, I grow as a person, you know, and just grow in my ability to, you know, communicate with others. Well, just because one, I was around, you know, like 40 plus people, you know, so there's a lot of chances for me to do that. But two, two, it gave me a chance to, you know, have an impact on others. But, but like y'all had a really big impact on me. And, you know, like you said earlier, you know, just kind of look where I was then to where I am now. And my time at Winget definitely, helped that out and obviously that night with the picture and the instagram post i mean like i mean to be honest man like when i saw that post i like burst out into tears dude i was crying i was sobbing just because the fact that i mean you know i mean like i was obviously very happy that i was able to have an impact on you but just the fact that you had an impact on me enough and just having an impact on me and that really helped me feel like i was actually doing something down there that meant something to at least somebody down there no, and just seeing sure. that was really cool for me no i mean that's i mean that's what it's all about man like that that's really what it's all about at the end of the day is like we've been talking about for the last 30 minutes it's just impact yeah. <laughs> it's i mean it's just being able to have a positive impact on somebody because there's so much bad crap in this world yeah like, there is so much and like if you can do something just so small to take away from <clears throat> just a little bit of all the bad stuff you see especially in today's era of social media because social media has plenty of perks trust like oh yeah social media has been great in so many aspects for everything from like marketing branding recruiting and baseball like right now we're using social media to get half of our commits because it's the only way we can see people we can only right. see people through film and all of that and like that's taken off but like it's also got downside because anything bad you can ever think of you see it as soon as you get on twitter you see it as soon as you get on instagram and so like even in that that kind of society that we live in, little things like that, because it may seem trivial to some people on the outside. They see a see a post like, oh, wow, that's that's cool. Like, that's nice. But like the the personal impact, like the people involved in that situation actually feel from that. That's what kind of gets gets the needle moving in the right direction and starts trying to just you can do do one good thing a day. And you look up 365 days have gone by and you've done 365 good things. Right. And then you do it again. And you keep doing that and then you've made some sort of change you've made you've made at least a positive impact and it's definitely not negative and so that that's all we can really do if we can each do our part and that when I mean, the relationship we were able to cultivate there was was amazing and truly is, it's impacted me i know it's impacted you as well and I'm, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to be able to do that i mean well like that was just an experience i'll never forget and you were you were a huge part of that for me and i'm very thankful that i was able to be a part of that for you as well during your time there for sure but to finish up our interview i did leave you one or two more questions at the very bottom of our text just because i'm interested i don't know why i never asked you while you were there obviously yeah. obviously on the zoom call obviously the listeners can't see it because this isn't isn't the video but obviously if you're a faithful listener of the reverend babble podcast you would know that i am a major major boston red sox fan you know to obviously some of the uh, dismay of a lot of Atlanta Braves fans around my area for sure to say the least but with that in mind I want to ask you what your favorite team was in Major League Baseball because for some reason I don't think I ever asked you that I've asked well, it to uh, a few of the other guys but not to you well it probably would depend on the day I would have given you a different answer <laughs> it's been all over the place uh, for sure but I have to say the Dodgers right now really uh, I mean that's kind of been where I've I've been at for a good part uh, 
even when it was on and off, it's most often than not been the Dodgers. And that's because there's a couple of reasons. Uh, the first letter I ever got from a professional scout was from the Dodgers in high school. Oh, cool. And that, that kind of had an impact on me. I, I didn't like, I wasn't by any means a draft guy out of high school, but they saw me at an event and they liked me. So they sent me a questionnaire and I filled it out and all that stuff. That's and cool. then I, he actually, I, I could have, I could be misspeaking. I, but I think he did, he did pass away. <clears throat> Lon, his name's Lon Joyce. He's one of the, the uh, biggest, like one of the most well-known area scouts, uh, kind of in, in all of baseball. He was in it for oh, a yeah. while. I think he's, if he's still, if he's still is alive, he's in his nineties now. Oh yeah. <clears throat> but he's like, he signed anybody that basically that came from the East coast that you can think of, he signed them. that plays for the Dodgers now. And so he was actually the f- first pro scout to reach out to me in college. And but so that's cool. that, and he was with the Dodgers, he's still with the Dodgers then. And so that was kind of where, where that kind of started for me. And I've always, <clears throat> between that and then they've got a, uh, their catching coordinator, his name's Brian Sienko. I've met him a couple times. I've heard him present some stuff and he's great. I really love like what he's doing with like how he, how he goes about coaching the catchers and you look at it and the Dodgers have, one or two of the best catchers in the league every year. Oh yeah. And so that's Easily. kind of how, that's how I enjoy watching baseball. I, I, I flip through the games until I see, see a team with a catcher. I like if the Dodgers aren't playing and I put it on that game and I watch them catch. And so it's uh, like, I think one of the other, the other questions, that was my favorite player. And that's, the, that's yes. a really hard, that's a really hard one. So I've got, I'd say one, uh, He's, he doesn't play anymore. He's actually a, a minor league coach for the uh, Nationals now. He just got that job, but his name's Jake Lowry. I grew oh, up. Oh yeah. He's, he's a few. He's a few years older than I am. Uh, grew up around him and his younger brother and their dad. The first ever time I hit like did hitting with anybody was with them when I was like five, and so wow. like I've got a really good relationship with them. He played at JMU. He was a the Johnny Bench Award winner his junior year. Oh, cool. Best best catcher in the country. And uh, it's kind of funny. He, that year, he finished first in the voting. Uh, Mike Zunino finished second. Really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's like the same Mike Zunino who was on yeah, the, the World Series team last year, Tampa Bay Rays yeah, team last that, year. That guy. That's cool. The same, one in the same there. And so uh, he got, he was a third round draft pick and he's, he uh, was in the minors for a while and he ended up, he was, it's really unfortunate. He got hit with a fastball in the face and it broke his jaw and everything. Ooh. And it, I mean, he was, he was probably a year away from being a big leaguer at that point with how he had been playing and progressing and everything. Right. He was up in double, he was up in double A when it happened and very, very good chance that he was going to be in the big leagues in a year or two. And like, after that, he, he just wasn't the same. He wasn't the same hitter anymore. And I don't know if it was because of that or like he, what, whatever happened, but he's still one of one of the closest guys I've got in my life in baseball. And like, we talk a lot, I get out on the golf course all the time and play when we can Nice and stuff. And so he's, he's someone I've always looked up to a lot. And while he's not like your typical big leaguer, big name guy, he's, it's someone that's personally close to me that I've always really aspired to, to model my game after and oh, yeah. uh, kind of impact people the same way, same way he's impacted people in his life. Cause he didn't have to take me under his wing the way he did and always be there for me. Like I hit my first home run in college and I come back to my phone after the game and I got a text from him. He's in the middle of a season. He's in the, he's in the middle of a double of a, of a baseball season, but he took the time because he, he stayed in touch. He followed me and like, it was really awesome. Awesome to have that relationship with him and still have it now. 
And so I would say definitely him, Jake, uh, for sure. But uh, in the big leagues currently, it's probably Austin Barnes. Austin Barnes the on the Dodgers? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think. Well, like, I mean, well, like, which is funny because, I mean, yeah, he's on the Dodgers and he's a catcher, but really no one really knows who he is. It's kind of weird because, exactly. like, I'd say, I mean, like, I would definitely say Austin Barnes is definitely one of the more underrated, like, current major league catchers for sure. Absolutely. He is, and he puts up puts up good numbers every year, and it's just because it's like the whole like they always at Wingate like they they said like, you've you've caught a good game if nobody noticed you were back there, right? And you don't you kind of don't notice Austin Barnes is back there because the only times you really notice the catcher are when he does something bad, like when he drops a ball or when he gives up a pass ball or misses a block or throws a ball away on a bunt or something like that. Right. Barnes doesn't really do that. He just sits back there. No. He catches the ball. He wins a lot of strikes for his pitchers. Austin Barnes is a very staff. consistent player for sure. Yeah. And he handles their pitching staff very well. And he just does his job. And that's, I love that. I love that about him. And he's, it, he's underrated, but like a lot of the new, like the new uh, sabermetric stuff, the stats and all of that, you look at it and like that's stuff that people that aren't really like, you don't get into that unless you're like a catching guy or like really into baseball. Right. Well, stuff like See, me i'm a, that's you. i was the best or like me yeah. yeah i was the best or like me i'm just like a stat nerd but yeah but yeah you look at his numbers and stuff and you look up and at the end of every year he's in the top top two or three and uh, uh basically runs runs saved defensively defensive runs saved because of how he blocks the ball and how he catches the ball and so it's he he doesn't do anything fancy it's not flashy or anything it's really stock and he's really good at what he does and so oh, I, yeah. I really enjoy watching him catch I mean, well, like that just goes to show that all the news about players doesn't mean a whole lot. It's just a matter of how consistent you can be. And Austin Barnes, mm-hmm. you know, he's definitely one of the best consistent MLB players right now for sure, man. You know, and that's obviously pretty cool that you got a couple of former pros that you've, you know, like you said, kept kept in touch with for so long. And that's really cool just to have those relationships built. I mean, like obviously from a baseball standpoint too, you know, but just like from a normal friendship standpoint, you know, like that's really cool that you obviously had baseball in common, but you know, that's really cool that you've kept that friendship for going on for that long, you know, like despite all of y'all going in a couple of different directions, you know, like that's definitely pretty cool, man, for sure. All right. Well, I guess it's going to do it for this interview. I understand that this is probably longer than your typical post-game interview. Like you do at Winget or something like that Mm -hmm. when you played there, but I mean, like, I honestly do really just thank you for taking the time to come on. I've really enjoyed it for sure. I mean, we've talked about a lot of different things and it was really cool getting to hear your full story because like, obviously I've heard bits and pieces of it, but I never mm-hmm. heard about that story all the way through, you know, and that's really, yeah. you know, and like, that is pretty cool, man, that you have that story that will tell other people and have an impact on others. And, and trust me, man, I'll be keeping up with uh vcu as much as i can this season dude and i'll be keeping you know watch on you kind of seeing how things are going i'll text you see how things are going with the team how you feeling but you know but but just thank you so much man for wanting to come on and i really appreciate it and and i guess we'll have to do this again sometime for sure absolutely for sure man i really appreciate you uh reaching out to me i'm this was awesome i really wasn't really wasn't sure what i'd expect i listen to podcasts all the time but never really been on one but getting down getting uh, the opportunity to be able to sit down and share my story kind of in depth with you and uh just see see all the stuff that kind of kind of get into the nitty-gritty the stuff we weren't really able to talk about while I was there and then what all's happened since I left Wingate and uh 
is kind of just share my experiences uh, with you. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, kind of how our relationship has grown and everything. I'm really thankful for the opportunity to be able to do that. And I hope everybody listening is able to uh, kind of take something away from this that helps them in any way. And uh, just, just got to keep going with everything you do. It's, it's hard sometimes. Man. There's a lot of stuff that, that goes on in life that's it's not easy. It's pretty difficult to deal with, but it's all part of a plan. And we just got to trust that and, and keep moving forward. That's the absolute truth, man, for sure. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely, man. Thank you, man. It was great talking to you. All right. It is sports time. Time to update y'all on the week that was in the wide world of sports. Don't sue me, ESPN. This is the, <laughs> the weekly, weekly score. score. And uh, just before we get started on the weekly score, because we got a few things we're going to definitely be talking about. We're going to be talking about March Madness, some NBA, and even some news from the NFL. But before we get into the weekly score topics, I just want to say a quick thank you to Andrew Llewellyn for taking the time to go on Zoom and do the Zoom call with me because that was a really awesome double play Devo. We talked about a lot of stuff, talked for a long time, but it was really in-depth. It was really good. We talked about baseball, obviously, but we talked about faith and how we can just impact other people throughout our lives and circumstances that we go through. So I really hope you all enjoyed that. It was a great time. But without further ado, let's talk some March Madness, Neil. Yeah, we won't uh, we won't tease it until the very end this week, right? Well, right, we'll go yeah. ahead and do it at the beginning. So yeah, so I, I'll go ahead and be honest with you, Cody. It was the first weekend was amazing. Yes, had, you know, had my excitement through the roof. Yeah, this weekend was a buzzkill kind of man. Yeah, I mean it was much, fun, but I, I guess, mean like it was fun to watch. I guess, but... my, I guess I got my heart too much in it with these underdogs, and then most of my underdogs that everybody liked. They ended up losing, and right. now I have almost minimal interest, you know? So, right. But, yeah, so let, let's talk about it. What you want to talk about first with with March Madness? Well, um, I mean, well, like, we can talk about the Sweet 16 and the, about the fact that a couple of the underdog teams that we, like, got knocked out, like Oral Roberts yeah. just, just barely lost to Arkansas mm-hmm. at the very end there. I was really hoping they were able a to great, pull that out. A great look, too. Oh, that, yeah. I mean, it Absolutely. was not a crazy shot. They didn't have to heat it from half court right i mean it was maybe if you want to critique it it was a tad off balance but i mean i mean he got down to the floor right i, I was like oh oh man this is about to happen right and then it was like the gordon hayward shot against duke in the final four yes but yeah it was it just it just rimmed out you know yeah that was just a very uh tough game to watch too especially considering that Oral roberts had the lead for a pretty good portion of the game too you know, and of course, late in the game, you're thinking, okay, there's too much time left on the clock. I just hope they can kind of hold out this lead. Yeah. You know, and of course, like, of course, the main themes that's been this whole tournament for Oral Roberts is like, man, they've played some really good schools and they just managed to keep the hammer down for long enough and they were able to pull out the victories. And, and that's what they almost did against Arkansas. But just late in the game, Arkansas just kind of swung the uh, pendulum. Is that how yeah. it's pronounced? Uh-huh. Yep. You know, like, uh, kind of swung the momentum back into their flavor flavor into their favor late in the game and unfortunately by the time or roberts was able to get something back it was you know basically too little too late what flavors are razorback cody uh salty like bacon yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay just just, yeah but you said flavored that's just right (laughs) yeah for sure i mean so that was obviously a very unfortunate ending for number 15 seed or roberts you know like which is honestly kind of funny something i was thinking about during the game i'm like you know, because obviously when the tournament starts, I mean, 
I mean, like obviously there's the first four, you know, but once that's over, the bracket is full of 64 teams. Mm-hmm. And if there's a team that's a 15 seed, they're basically considered one of the eight worst, you know, quote unquote, eight worst teams there. Right. But if they had won, they would have been in the elite eight. So they would have been then one of the eight best teams that had been left. So I just kind of thought that was funny how, if they had managed to win that game, the correlation of being from one of the eight worst teams in there to being part of the eight best teams still remaining. That would have been kind of cool to see. Unfortunately, it did not happen, but congrats on a good season to Oral Roberts for them and almost pulling that one out. And then, of course, we had another team, Sister Jeans, Loyola, Chicago. They got... Bye-bye. They got knocked out by number 12, Oregon State. Yeah, you know, Pac-12, which is what I'm a huge fan of. Right. <laughs> right, for sure. And, like, but to be honest, that was kind of funny because... Technically, that was an upset because Oregon State was a 12 seed. You know, like so I was kind of funny seeing a 12 seed beat the 8 seed to go into the Elite Eight. And so, or- Oregon State had control that whole game. Oh, yeah, I absolutely. Mean, from Literally from the tip, they had control. Yes, and for sure. Yeah. That was obviously kind of unfortunate to have seen the team that's had a deep run in the last few years with Leo Chicago, but it is kind of good for Oregon State to kind of get there to the Elite Eight. Good for them. But, you know, and then to kind of also recap, uh, Baylor beat Villanova and Houston beat Syracuse. Mm-hmm. You know, both of those games weren't really as entertaining because you kind of expected both of those teams to win those sure. games. You know, so that was basically a big recap of the first day of Sweet 16. Then the second day, you had Gonzaga beating Creighton. Well, they're they're just strolling right along to and the final they're just four. Kinda, you know, they got, you know, they're just kind of keeping their thing going. You know, and here's the thing. I've mentioned this on the podcast before, and I still believe it. I still think Gonzaga's a little bit overrated, but... I do congratulate them from for getting this far, you know, but I do see them eventually kind of getting overthrown by somebody. It's just a matter of who. But it's also like you said that if there is a year for Gonzaga to win the national championship, it would definitely be this year. Yeah, and and even though you know we 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 joke about them and say you know they need to get out of the West Coast Conference and all that, right? I mean they're strutting right along right now. Oh yeah, and we'll get to it when we get done recapping a few more of these games. But you know they they played. Uh, on Tuesday, they played. They played tonight as, as we're talking. Yes, and so we'll kind of give a quick preview of that in hopes that we're right come Thursday when yes. this comes out. But I mean, you know, I thought they'd have a tough test against um, Creighton. You know, cause oh yeah, absolutely. Creighton's not a team to to mess with, and they they messed with them and messed yes. them up really. Yeah, for sure. Um, and but then they got the Trojans. You know, who who we'll go ahead and talk about that. They they took care of Oregon like it was nothing. Yes, you know, and Oregon was was a, a well. That was what a seven versus a six. Yeah, yeah. But still, Oregon was a pretty tough team. A in pretty the tough Pac-12, team to face. Yeah, you know. And as a Pac-12 matchup again, so at, at least I can say the Pac-12 is not undefeated in the tournament. Yes, anymore, <laughs> thankfully. So, yes, for sure. But they're well, still on a tear. You know, which is honestly kind of funny to say that the Pac-12's undefeated streak came as a result of their own conference team beating him right you know but still it is kind of funny to see the pac-12 win streak end you know but then kind of going on further in the sweet 16 day two you had michigan being florida state again that one was probably expected just because it's michigan but you did have number 11 ucla knock out alabama in overtime man to move on to the elite eight and that was probably the best game of that entire what a weekend. heartbreaking loss for Alabama that too. was 
that whole game was kind of crazy because it was so tight the whole game. And then you had in like, as time expired, Alabama hit a deep three to send the game into overtime. So when I saw that, I'm thinking, oh man, Alabama's got all the momentum. They're going to take out UCLA and they're going to move on to the Elite Eight. But then once they went overtime, Alabama just could not do anything. Well, you know what killed Alabama's momentum and killed it every single time they got a little bit of it? You know what killed it? What's that? Missing free throws. Oh, yeah. They were 11 of 25 from the line for the whole game. That's 44%. Which is probably the worst free throw percentage I've seen for like any one game in my entire life. Like, yeah. I mean, like, they could not hit a free and throw. And it, it had to be something. I mean, it life. was frustrating for me to watch. I can't imagine being an Alabama fan and seeing that, you know? Right. Because I mean, just think, if you'd have made if you would have made half of that, you'd have won the game. You right. Wouldn't, you wouldn't have been in overtime. If you'd have made six, maybe five or six more, you wouldn't have been you you wouldn't have been in overtime. You'd have, it'd have right. been over in the regulation, y'all would have won. But, I mean, just go show you – you know, as as cool as an idea as it is that Oates has, I don't know if you saw it, but you know, in their practice, all mid range jumpers are one point. Have you seen that? Oh, really? So in Alabama's on the Alabama's practice court, the inside the paint, so like for post players, inside the paint, yeah. two points. Okay, right. Anything mid range, there's a there's a little mini line, like a little arc. Anything mid range is one point. He's trying to get rid of the mid range shot. So two points in the paint. Mid-range shot is one point. Then the regular three-point line is three points. And then the NBA line is four. So he's just trying to get them to spread out. He's trying to get them to spread out and play like that? the fact of eliminating or trying to get your players away from the mid-range might have thrown them off on the free throws. uh, Unless you just practice free throws, you know? Right, for sure. But, I mean, I don't know if that's the thing that came back and bit them. I don't really think it was. But, I mean, people are talking about maybe they shouldn't have cut out the mid-range as much as they should have. Well, like – that was my whole thing whenever I was watching Alabama play. I'm like, I have never seen a team not use the mid-range at all. And they don't. I was about to say, like, pretty much the way Alabama scores points, like you said, in the paint and behind the arc. That's how they score their points. They do not take advantage of that mid-range just because it's not part of their game well, plan. Well, and, you know, it's not that crazy if you think about it, you know? No. Uh, mid-range is not a high percentage shot. It's really not. And if you're going to go for two points, you might as well be as close to the basket as possible. If you're going to be that far out, you might as well try for an extra point and get three. Like, probably the main advantage, I would say, of the mid-range is because there's just more of it. Well, yeah. You know, it's like there's just more of mid-range than there is any other part of the floor as far as, like, once you get inside the arc. So, like, that's probably there. But, like, I mean, but I definitely there, see your point, There's two though. sides of the argument. But I think it leans more so if you're going to settle for two, why not go in and try to draw contact? Just thinking about that, too. Right. Know? So, but that's that's hearsay now. That's that's done and over. Um, Alabama had a great run. We'll see if they can keep their program up, up because, I mean, if, oh, yeah. if Alabama's got a stout football and basketball program, I mean, that's just – A lot of that's, people, that's, lot of people no are going to want to come to that you know? school to play basketball and not even play football. Exactly. So that, that'll that be something to see. Absolutely. Sure. And then, you know, like I said, to, to – um, not to get rid, not get rid, to move on from the Sweet Sixteen. Yeah, USC did beat Oregon, and then Monday night we had the Elite Eight games go um, go off. Or, well, half of them. We had Houston beating Oregon State. Yes. by six. Houston is just, I mean, they just play basketball. I yeah. don't really know any way to explain it. There's not much flashiness about them. Um, well, it's kind of old school in which they play. Well, what's funny about Houston is that I mean, like they're one of those teams. I mean, I mean they're just one of those teams, like you said. Like they don't do anything flashy, they don't do anything great, but they've just been playing well they enough to continue to advance. Yeah, I mean, like they're just one of those teams that you know, like you said, plays the old school. And you know, like I said, like 
all the games they've won, they really haven't won by a considerable margin, but they've been playing well enough to where, hey, they've come this far, so obviously they're okay at something. Yeah, and that ended an incredible run by Oregon State. Who, yes. Who, you know, if they wouldn't have, if they wouldn't have won the Pac-12 tournament, they wouldn't have been in the tournament. You know, right? I, I, did they win the Pac-12 tournament? Either that, or they made a very serious run because they had an yes. awful record, terrible yeah. record. Wasn't their conference record like 500? That was awful. Yeah, it was not good. Yeah, and they had a terrible um, early non-conference loss. I can't remember who it was against, but it was it was against a mid-major school. Right. And then uh, we have Baylor. Speaking about ending streaks, like we talked about at the beginning of the show. Yes. Baylor ended a 71-year drought. Yes, and they, they are did. back in the Final Four. You know, they're finally back in the Final Four for the first time since 1950, and it's funny too because you're talking about Houston earlier this is the first time Houston's been in the final four since 1984 wow so you know so pretty sure that's when they won wasn't it yeah yeah so pretty much both of the major teams from Texas are in the final four for the first time in a long time that's either when the last time they won it or that's when uh, NC State beat them in the finals I can't remember what year Jimmy V won with State right it was somewhere around that time though and, but, in, you know, Tuesday night, uh, we had USC and Gonzaga. Yes. And we had UCLA and Michigan. And, and as we're talking, we, we can't tell you who won because it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't yet. happened yet, you know, right. Time warp, we're going back to the future again. Whoa. Um, so, Cody, just real quick, you know, not much explanation needed, uh, just as, you know, because we don't know. Right. You know, um, go, let's let's go over these two games real quick. All right, first, let's first do USC and Gonzaga. Who's coming out on top? Who's going to Final Four? As much as I hate to say it, I think Gonzaga's going to yeah. win. I just don't see how a team like USC can compete. on Like, just the way that Gonzaga's been playing in this tournament, they're just on a huge run right oh, now. Yeah. And it's going to be really tough for not just USC, but really any team playing them to get past them right I now. I think this is their toughest opponent so far. Oh, for yes. For sure. Absolutely. Um, but I don't think it's going to be much of a match at the end. I think Gonzaga's no. going to run away with it. Gonzaga, Gonzaga, whatever you want to say. And then, uh, conveniently, at 9.57 Eastern time, which <laughs> yeah. I will not be watching tonight. I'll catch it on Wednesday morning. Yeah, same here. Uh, we have UCLA taking on Michigan, so two old school teams going yes, up against for each sure. other, which is really cool to see. All right, Cody, who comes out on top? Once again, man, as much as I hate to say it, I I think it's going to be Michigan. You're I'm going re- with the Wolverines. I'm going with the Wolverines. I just love the way that UCLA has played in this tournament, just the fact that one, they had to play in the first four just to get into the tournament. You know, like that's obviously pretty crazy by itself. You know, but the fact that they've come all this way into the you know first four teams that could be out to coming into the tournament, and now they're in the top eight mm-hmm. is really impressive in that run by itself. But one thing I will say about Michigan is they're kind of in a similar boat to uh, Gonzaga. They really haven't played against a lot of tough competition in this tournament. I think they've played tougher competition than. Gonzaga has but if you ask me I see Michigan winning the game even though I want it to be the team from LA oh yeah well yes. guess what I'm biting the bullet I'm cheering for a Pac-12 team tonight you're what yeah uh-huh you're cheering for yeah, a Pac- I, I, I mean well like am I I'll be cheering for UCLA but I think Michigan's gonna win but nah, really yeah. yeah I'm gonna go with the upset tonight I think you're going with the upset yeah, why not who cares right well <laughs> the brackets were out the window halfway through day one okay well, that's a good point so uh, yeah I'm, I'm gonna go with the Bruins tonight hey I, I'm gonna, that I'm, sounds I'm cool gonna to ride, me I'm gonna ride that ship till it gets stuck in the Suez Canal and then I'm going to just hopefully be right come tomorrow morning I mean, UCLA, I, I watched them against Alabama. You know, that is a 
just a tough team. I mean, that's they, a very that's tough a team. gritty team. That is a physical team. I don't know the guy's name. It's the post the guy in the post number two. Yeah, man, that guy he was just tearing it up down there, isn't it? And we, me and I were both were watching the game, and I mean, he was just dominating the paint. And then he scored, and then it said he had six points. I was like, he's done so much to only have six, six points, points, you know? Right. But he's just so. His presence is so known on defense and stuff. It's it's insane to see. Right. So I, I'm I'm just gonna go with the uh, with the momentum that they've hey. had since literally the very beginning of this tournament and see what happens. Yeah. And if I'm wrong, guess what? I'll go back to sleep and sleep just fine. So yeah. it'll be all right. Yeah. I mean, well, hey. Well, cool. So That's cool we'll, with me, I dude. Mean, and then come next week, we'll have a national champion to talk about. Yes. Because the game's on Monday night. Uh-huh. So whenever we talk next week about about March Madness, we'll be talking about who won the national championship. As of right now, my national champion is still in. So the champion I picked was Baylor. So as of right now, they're still in. So I guess we'll have to see how that goes. We'll see what happens. Hmm. All right. Let's talk some NBA basketball, Neil. All right, let's do it. Let's talk a little bit of NBA. So, for the power rankings, I don't have much to say just because obviously there's not been a ton of change. Although, there is something I will say is that the Nets are not number one anymore. Well, there you go. They have been ranked down all the way to number two Oh, now. bless their heart. All the way down to number two. The but struggle n- is real. But number one, though, is the Utah Jazz. So, they're back. They are finally back at number one. They're back at the top because they have been having a pretty good week since the last time we talked about them because I'm pretty sure they were like five and five in their last 10 mm-hmm. games. The last time we talked about them, well, now their last 10 games are eight and two. So, so they've definitely made a little bit of a run since last week, and that's obviously helped them get back up in, in the rankings. Well, that's cool to see. I mean, for sure. Uh, the, the Jazz are a fun team to watch. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, they're out there in Utah, so that's Mormon country, you know. Right. So they're they're knocking on doors and grabbing boards, you know. Yeah. So that's that's cool to see for the Utah. That's awesome. And, absolutely, you know, man. I, I like seeing teams that aren't named the Clippers or Lakers in the Western Conference yes. up at the top. You know, that's oh, cool yeah, to absolutely. see. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Absolutely, man, for sure. You like, you like my slogan on the Jazz, knocking on doors. And oh, yeah. Grabbing, you, got, you get my reference. I'm yes, glad, I'm glad you enjoy that. Yes, for sure. There was some sort of Mormon joke I had in my head, but I didn't know how it would sound. But yours is definitely a lot better than the way mine probably would have sounded. So, But anyway, one of the main reasons why I want to talk about the power rankings is that kind of towards the bottom of the top 10. So rank number nine is the Dallas Mavericks, which they were ranked number eight last week. They swapped places with the Denver Nuggets. It was eight and nine Mavs and Nuggets, and then they swapped. Now the Nuggets are eight and the Mavericks are nine. Okay. But one thing I wanted to say, and this is something that I wanted to bring up, talking about them and the Charlotte Hornets. So the Dallas Mavericks, I already said, are ranked number nine, and they have a record of 24 and 21. They have gone five and five in their last 10 games, so they're kind of going through a little bit of a inconsistent patch right now. Okay, and they're number nine, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. They're ranked number nine overall, but if you look at the Western Conference standings, they are they are in seventh place in the Western Conference. Okay, you know, so as far as the grand scheme of thing, and for the playoff picture, they would be a, a low seed playoff team. You know, and obviously, to be fair, I understand the Western Conference is just absolutely stacked this year with really good teams. So if you have an around five hundred record, you're going to be in around that seventh, eighth place spot. But the reason why I want to bring this up is because the Mavericks are twenty four and twenty one. 
and they're a seven seed if a season were to end today, obviously. They'd, right. they'd be a seven seed. And the Charlotte Hornets are ranked number 16, so they did go up from last week. But their record is 23-22, and 22, so hmm. only one game less than the Mavericks. And the Hornets are 6-4 and four in their last 10 games. And they are in fourth place. Interesting. So I just... I see your differential there. So you... I just think it's interesting that a top four seed in the Eastern Conference is ranked 16, and a bottom seed for the Western Conference is ranked in the top 10, right. with with both teams having essentially the same records, and the Charlotte Hornets have actually been on a slightly better run the last week or so than the Dallas Mavericks have. I thought that was kind of interesting. It is interesting, but I'll, I'll bring this up. I think it's a big base off strength of schedule kind of deal. Probably so. And when you're in the Western Conference, your schedule is going to be stronger automatically. Yes. Just because the Western Conference, let's face it, is a stronger conference than the Eastern Conference is. Oh, yeah. Because look at this. So the Lakers are the four, four, fourth place in the East, right? Or excuse me, in the West right now. Right. So they're they're the fourth seed in the West at 30 and 17. That's that's crazy. That's the uh-huh. fourth, you know? And so you said the Mavericks are seventh in the West. Yes. And so that is a, let's see, that's a six and a half game difference between seven the seven seed and the four seed in the Western Conference. In the Eastern Conference, we know the Hornets are the four seed. And so they're 23 and 22. The seven seed in the East, which is the Celtics, they're 23 and 24. So that's only a game difference. Right. You know? So, so I, like you have all those teams that are really tight on the, yeah. on those last few playoff spots. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, in the Eastern Conference, it's only a game's difference whether you're top four, whether you're a four seed or an eight seed, honestly. Right. Because the Bucks are number three in the East. And the Hornets are five and a half games back of that. So there's a huge gap between three and four, but four through through eight is just a game difference because the Heat are also only a game back of the Hornets. So that's that's crazy to think. Uh-huh. You know? So I think it's, it has a lot to do with that, of how crazy that and how variable that can be on a day-to-day basis. Right. And because the Eastern Conference is nowhere near as, as good as the Western, as Conference, the Western Conference. So I, think, I right. think that's the main thing. Even though on paper, looking at it, it makes no sense at all. Mm-hmm. You know? But look, breaking it down. But if you kind yeah. of break it down, look at it from like the larger point of view, it definitely makes sense right. for sure. Exactly. Because, I mean, think about it like – think about like – before Chapel Hill was really good at football. And they're not amazing, but they're way better than they used to be, right? Right. So Chapel Hill could have played a cupcake schedule and went undefeated before conference. And they still could have not have been played – they could not have been ranked top 25. And people, oh, why not? They're undefeated. Well, who they played? Basically nobody. Right. You know? And not saying that the Hornets haven't played nobody, but their strength of schedule compared to Dallas's might be completely different. And I think that's really the, the kicker there. Right. And plus, too, when you look at whenever the Hornets have gone on West Coast road trips, they've been about 500 on West yeah. Coast road trips. Yeah. So that just kind of goes to show you that in the grand scheme of things, if they were to be in the Western Conference, they would definitely not to be up there at all. Like they're in the Eastern Conference. So, like, obviously, like you said, looking on paper, I just thought that was kind of interesting. But, but when you put it in a larger perspective, kind of like what – you did with the Eastern and Western Conference and strength of schedule and strength of conference and all that kind of stuff. I can definitely see why that's the yeah, case. Yeah, if the Hornets played in the Western Conference, they'd be an eight or nine seed because the Spurs are eight seed, 23 and 21. Grizzlies are 22 and 22 and nine. They're the nine seed. Right. So, I mean, just think that's the that's a big variable too. Oh, yeah. You know? Absolutely. And sure. somehow the Timberwolves are still worse than the Rockets. <laughs> How? The Timberwolves are 11 and 36, and the Rockets are 13 and 33. The Rockets, the Rockets went on a how, how big of a losing the streak? The Rockets went on a 20 game losing streak. And they're still not as and bad as the Timberwolves. And they're still not as bad as the Timberwolves. <laughs> Man, how bad are the Timberwolves? Really bad. Man, that's terrible. 
And shout out to the Pistons. They're also 13 to 33. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Cody, let's talk some NFL football let's, for a little bit. Let's do it, dude. So we got, of course, we got some crazy draft pick trades that happened. And yes. we'll talk about that in just a second. But as official on Tuesday this week, yes. it is officially, officially official. Okay. And just it it un- is. Triple underline that. It's officially. The NFL. Uh, officially, no, wait a minute. You said it's officially, officially official? Yeah. Officially, officially official. All right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Just triple official. Okay. okay? All right. <laughs> but um, the NFL has officially announced. Officially. A 17-game schedule for this year. Like, which is honestly just kind of weird to just think about that mm-hmm. just because we're, I'm just so used to the 16-game schedule. Yeah, me it, too. It, it's just kind of and, weird just to think about and that. And I have a little a little case of OCD about me. Okay. You can ask Amber. Like, I mean, like when I get, when I lay down at night, I I've, I know I already locked the doors, but I'll get up and check again sometimes. Right. So this being an odd number of games really bothers me. Okay. Oh, really? It really bothers me. But you know what also is kind of weird? What? That they didn't add in a second bye week. You know, I, yeah. I, I thought that might have been a possibility. Yeah. With, the, with one more game, you might you might add in two buys. Because, you know, sometimes college football has a couple of bye weeks. Uh-huh. You know? But I, I, I thought that, you know, if this is going to happen, which it looks like it's going to, they would add a second bye week. And they didn't. There's only one bye week and 17 games. You know, which is kind of weird to think about, you know, because you're adding one extra game. Mm-hmm. You know, so you would think, too, just because of that, you kind of maybe even out the bye weeks to kind of, you know, kind of depending on everyone's schedule. Like, obviously, you got to have somebody play every week. But, like, maybe you would play, like, four or five games and then do a bye week and then play, like, two or three games and do a bye week and then just play the rest of the season out from yeah. there. Or, like, some way, shape, or form of having two bye weeks. But, like, maybe that's the reason why they didn't want to do that. Maybe. It's just maybe that would just make things more complicated. And, and I haven't read too much into it today just because, like I said, I've been painting the football field all day. Right. Um, but, you know – how are they going to decide who gets the extra home game? You know, right? Because used to you'd get eight home games, eight, home eight games, away games, eight road now, games. Are, are you just going to alternate like odd number of years AFC gets it, or you know what I mean, and vice versa? Right. Because there's not going to be an even number of home and away games anymore with it being odd number. Which I'm see how see how this bothers me. See how this right. aggravates me. You know. Yes. So, but I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know if I like it to be honest with you. Well, I mean, the only reason why I would be okay with it or or cool with it is just, okay, cool, we get one extra football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more, more football, right? Yeah. Uh, game we get to watch. But I can definitely see how this would definitely not be popular among, obviously, players, but obviously, like, just fans in general, just kind of seeing, like, okay, this is just really weird to have to adjust to just because everybody's so used to the 16-game schedules. Everyone's so used to having eight home games – eight road games, you know, just because everyone has just figured out how to figure out the schedules mm-hmm. and just kind of coordinate based off that adding one extra game is kind of weird because it, because like you said, obviously the home, like home road differential, like how are you going to decide that? But what would be cool is if they make that one other game, like a neutral site game, yeah, like where they would go to like some special stadium or something like that, you know, like, Maybe like a big college stadium that they have like big like college football game, you know, like we'll, right, we'll, Lions versus Packers we'll, we'll, we'll at, like, at, at University of Michigan, right? <laughs> right. House. I mean, well, like uh, 
maybe one of the reasons why they're doing it like this is, you know, like obviously before COVID, the NFL was really big on having games in Europe. So maybe they could use this extra game for some international games, yeah, like then, in Mexico the Jaguars or in will London. Play over three times instead of once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, like maybe use this game for something other than a home and road thing. I mean, that's probably not going to happen, yeah. but you know, that would be interesting for something to do with that. But as far as like, the players and everything is concerned. I could definitely see how that could just be really weird to think about. And it's funny because I remember they were talking about this idea either before last season or two years ago, but they were talking about it. And like a lot of players were like, no, mm-hmm. I would, I would absolutely. And I they're w- still like that. The players were like, no, I would definitely not want to be a part of a 17 game season. It's because it's one extra week that, you know, I'm not used to having right. of playing and all well, that Well, yeah, stuff. and they're risking injury for one more game, uh-huh. you know. Right, so, for sure. I mean, well, plus it's interesting that, that the NFL is going to have 17 games and literally every other team sport has an even number yeah, of even games. number of games. I, I was about to say, you know, it has like an even number of games like the MLB has a 162-game season. Obviously, it was shortened last year, you know, but they have an even number of games. And the way they figure out the conference – not conference, but like the, the league stuff, yeah. You know, but like the league stuff or the divisional schedule, and that's all that's based on how many games you play. Yeah. So, like you said, it's going to be kind of weird to see how they adjust the schedule and all that kind of stuff. Plus, two, why sixteen games more sense is you could play one entire division from another conference every year. Yeah. You know, because each division is four teams. Mm-hmm. So, what's that extra game going to be used mm-hmm. for? Just some other random team that just wants to play yeah. you or? I don't know. I don't know. Well, and then I have two things, and I'll let you talk about the trades or at least start talking about trades. Um, first thing is we don't know what kind of record will get you in to the playoffs. Now right. Because used to, 9-7 and seven maybe, 10-6, yeah. and, and six, you were a pretty safe bet unless your division was just stacked. But, I mean, will 10-7 and seven get you in? You know, 9-8 and eight probably won't get you in. You know, right? So yeah. I don't, I don't know, man. It's it's tough, and I mean, forget going five hundred. You know, that's not existent anymore uh-huh. unless you go eight, eight, and one. I don't know if that counts as five hundred or not. Yeah, but I mean, five hundred's done. So you know, um, what's the name Fisher that used to coach the Rams? You know, I don't know what he would do in this kind of situation. Uh huh. So I, I was about to say, like, you know, like th- that would just be kind of weird for him just to even imagine yeah. not being around five hundred anymore, going eight, eight, or nine and seven, or seven and nine. So. But, yeah, so that's and, – and then, you know, I guess to close it out, you know, the traditional fans going to love it because it's more football, obviously. Right. The TV's, TV markets, duh, they're uh, loving yeah. it because it's more money. And three, the players, most of them, they're not fans of it right now. Mm-mm. And, no. you know, I don't know what will come of this. I don't know if the Players Association was involved from this. I'm sure they had to have some kind of say in this. I don't know. Right. Um, but – I don't think just a tweet from Adam Schefter saying we'll have 17 games, I don't think that's the end of this topic. I think it's going to be strung out for for a little while. Today being Tuesday, I'm sure all the sports channels Wednesday morning, tomorrow morning are going to be talking about that a lot, Yeah, about about their opinions on that that for sure. Absolutely. Well, yeah, so we'll talk about about that and the more we know about it. But, Cody, talk talk to me about some trades that happened because – Oh, my goodness. Now it looks like, uh, uh, yeah, go ahead and tell me, then I'll give my two cents about it. Okay, well, I'm pretty sure it was a safe bet to say that this year's NFL draft was already kind of weird just because of, okay, after Trevor Lawrence, who's going where? Because there's been so many changes of opinions on where, like, Zach Wilson's going or Justin Fields is going or Mac Jones is going or 
anyone who's not a quarterback really is going. You know, just that's been really confused. But all of that draft talk just got changed drastically after two trades that the Miami Dolphins made. The first one was they traded their number three overall pick, and the reason why they got that number three overall pick was because they traded with the Texans last year. Right. For, you know, uh, Kenny you know, steals. Uh, you know, and since the Texans went like, Four and twelve last year, right? You know, like the the Dolphins got the number three pick in the draft. Well, they traded that to the San Francisco 49ers for their first round pick, which is a number twelve pick, a third round pick in this year's draft, in addition to San Francisco's first round picks for for next year's draft and 2023's draft. So basically, the Dolphins traded their first round pick for for three other first round picks. Wow. And a third round pick as well. So once that happens, that moves San Francisco to being number three and Miami to number 12. Well, the Dolphins weren't done. They then traded that number 12 pick to the Philadelphia Eagles for their first round pick, which was a number six pick. And yeah. And then once those two trades happened, dude, the draft order got crazy. So after those two trades, here's what the first 12 slots of the draft look like. Obviously, the Jacksonville Jaguars at number one. Number two is the Jets. Now number three is the San Francisco 49ers, Mm -hmm. which makes the quarterback drafting a whole lot more interesting considering they don't know what they're going to do with Jimmy G quite yet. You know, like obviously he's been in a lot of trade talks, so we'll have to kind of see how that goes. Number four is the Atlanta Falcons. Number five is the Cincinnati Bengals. But now number six is the Miami Dolphins and not – not the Philadelphia Eagles that they tanked to get that the number six overall pick for. Mm-hmm. Number seven is the Lions. Number eight is the Carolina Panthers, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. Uh, number nine is the Denver Broncos. Number ten is the Dallas Cowboys. Number eleven is the New York Giants, and then number twelve was the San Francisco 49ers. Now it's the Philadelphia Eagles at number twelve. So Neil, <laughs> after those two trades, what do you have to say? You said you could get a you know if I can opinion on that, putting your two cents on that one. So what do you think? I never want my team to lose on purpose, okay? Right. But why the heck did we beat Washington late in the season last year? Because if we'd have lost, we would have been either fourth or fifth. We'd have been either number four or number five in this situation. And this trade wouldn't really have affected us at all. Really, not much. Right. As much as it has now, okay? Yes. Because speculation so we've been we're going to draft a quarterback. Whether that's it's not going to be Trevor Lawrence, right? Or whether it's going to be Zach Wilson, whether it's going to be Mac Jones, whether it's going to be Justin Fields, Justin Fields whether it's going to be Trey Lance. Okay, right. Um, out of those, I, I would rather not have Mac Jones. To be honest with you, just no. because I don't see anything flashy about him, I would rather have Wilson or Justin Fields or Trey Lance. Okay, looks like Fields is probably out of the question now. I, I possibly can, I can see Wilson going to the Jets. Yes, absolutely. Um, Who knows where Trey Lance is going? He might go to San Francisco for all we know. We we don't know what's going to happen. Right. But this is completely shaking up this entire process. Well, absolutely, because before these trades, you kind of figured, okay, Jacksonville is obviously going Trevor Lawrence, and then Jets have number two picks, so they'll probably go Zach Wilson. So basically you're just thinking, okay, from from picks three to pick seven, because the Panthers are number eight, which quarterbacks are going to still be left after pick right. seven. But now, obviously, with San Francisco being at number three, there's going to be, most likely, in my opinion, one less quarterback that's going to be yeah. available to be drafted mm-hmm. by the time the Panthers pick. Yeah. 
If you ask me, I say it's Lawrence, then Wilson, and then either Justin Fields or Trey Lance. Mm-hmm. Well, well, just, like that's the way I see just, the first three picks just, going. Just think about Justin Fields in that offense. Oh, in the San Francisco yeah, offense. With Shanahan. Uh, oh yeah. You know, I mean, you know, you know, Shanahan would love to have that. He would love to have a quarterback like Justin in Fields that in that type offense. Of offense you know? Absolutely. Well. Of course, probably out of the remaining quarterbacks, Justin Fields would probably be the one I would want for the oh, Panthers. Yeah. Well, like just because he can run, and it kind of brings back to the Cam Newton days. Mm-hmm. But you know, Justin Fields can pass the ball really well too. But like, I think it's funny because his pro day was like today, and he ran like a four 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 forty. Wow! In his uh, in his uh, <laughs> uh, pro day, yeah. So that was obviously really cool to see, but. Chances are the Panthers may not get him unless well, unless just something crazy happens. And who knows? These trades might not be over with. You know, right. for right now they've kind of died down, but they might not be over with. But, I mean, you know, the Panthers could a lot of cap space for a guy that looks like he's in a lot of trouble now. Yeah. And uh, But, you know, just looking at the list, I don't see the Falcons picking a quarterback just yet. Okay? No. Um, like um, I think they will next year. Um, I could see the Falcons picking someone like Devontae Smith up, to be yeah, honest with you. I, to, well, well, getting rid of Julio. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think if I was about if to say, they, well, I think if they're going to dismantle for a rebuild, I think you get rid of Julio before you get rid of Matt Ryan. Yes, but then going on, Cincinnati obviously is not going to draft a quarterback. They have Joe Joe Burrow. No, um, but for them, I could see a guy like a Pitts, the guy tight like, end from Florida, uh, tight end from Florida. Yeah. yeah, Kyle Pitts. I could see him going. Miami is not going to draft a quarterback. They just moved up to either um, get Penny Sewell or um, a linebacker or something along those lines. Yeah, Detroit is not going to get a quarterback because they got Jared Goff. Um, so maybe, just maybe, Trey Lance will be there at number yeah. eight, you know? And uh, if you're talking about maybe. wanting somebody similar to Cam, Lance is built more like Cam than Justin Fields is. Yes. And he's got legs on him, and he can sling the ball, okay? Yes. It's, it's, not, it's not a bad settle if we don't get Justin Fields, okay? Right. And obviously, I mean, I'll say his name. <laughs> it's just, it doesn't like we're getting Deshaun Watson. He's got some stuff he's got to settle on first, whether it's true or not. True or not, Something's going on. Something's fishy. Yeah. He's in a really sketchy organization as well. And so maybe we just need to kind of keep away from that for a little bit. Yeah. But who knows? We might have Teddy Bridgewater starting week one, and we might tank for Sam Howell next year. We don't know. Well, well, who knows, I'll, man? I'll ride that train till it's off the tracks just in case we need to. But who you knows, know, man? You know, we got the Lance Cracker factory in Charlotte, too. So a Lance, Trey Lance Panther jersey, that would look pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> got, so Yeah, for sure, man. But we'll we'll see, man. I I don't know. I mean these these trades could keep on going, you know, and it's it makes things crazier and crazier. But for the people that wanted Fields on the Panthers, I'm sorry. I don't know if that's going to happen now. Yeah, and uh, that was definitely me. I was definitely on that bandwagon for a while, yeah. but I'm probably going to hop off of that one now. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> well, that's our show, y'all. Um, I did not uh, purposely forget to, or I did not accidentally forget to talk about NASCAR. Um, I was going to have Parrish on today. Parrish, conveniently, you know, how dare an unpaid special guest of this show schedule a dentist appointment around the time we, you know, <laughs> decide to record. But he was at the Bristol Dirt Race on Sunday, or on Monday, excuse me, Yes. and he had a dentist appointment. I guess he had to get all that dirt cleaned out of his t- Teeth or something. I don't know. Yeah. But we'll have him on next Tuesday yes. to recap the Bristol Dirt Race and to preview the Martinsville race because there's no race this weekend with it being Easter weekend right. and things like that. So we'll talk more NASCAR, save more time for NASCAR next week. So don't worry. We're, we're, we're not dropping off the NASCAR bandwagon. If, if that's the case, that means Cody fired me if we're not talking about NASCAR anymore. Um, but we'll talk about that with Parrish next Tuesday. But as we close out, Cody's got our minor league baseball team of the week. All right. 
So this week's minor league baseball team of the week is probably one you've heard of, Neil. The St. Paul Saints. Yeah. The St. Paul Saints are the AAA team for the Minnesota Twins, which is, you know. It's very convenient. I mean, well, like, yeah, it's in St. Paul, you know, and then for guys who are getting called up to the bigs, you got a really short drive up to. You just go across the river. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you know, so as far as the Twins go, all of their top prospects don't have to make long journeys to yeah. play for the Twins now. They can just go right across the river and, hey, they're there. There you go. But something that's very interesting about the St. Paul Saints is that, yes, as of right now, they are a triple-A team for the Twins. But this is their first year being a team that is actually under the MLB. Okay, so they've not always been a farm team. They have been since 1993, which is the year they were founded. They have been a team in the independent leagues okay. since 1993. Wow. And they, and they, for a long time, were one of the best independent league teams in the country. Mm-hmm. So that is kind of interesting that one of the most prominent independent league teams is now going to be a farm team for one of the major league teams, especially one as close to where they are right now for the big league team is, you know, so I thought that was very interesting, but to kind of talk a little bit more about them, they are in the AAA East division, Mm -hmm. you know, which is obviously part of the new minor league realignment. They have won five league titles. Uh, Something that's funny about them is they actually won a league title in 2019. So it's funny that like, Right before COVID, they were yeah. the last defending so they're independent now. league champs. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, for sure. So that was something pretty funny about them. Like I said, they've been a team since 1993. Their ballpark is CHS Field. They've been there since 2015. Their colors are blue and white, so not very crazy on the colors, but you know, like they are a very prominent team. They are owned by the Gold Lane Group. Their general manager is Derek Scherer, and their manager is... Uh, Toby Gardenhire. Cool. Uh, yeah, so that is this week's minor league baseball team of the week. Awesome. Cool deal, man. Well, y'all keep up with us on social media. I've made a mental pact with myself to be more active on the Reverend Babel social medias this week and we'll be more engaging with y'all. So leave you a comment, um, leave you a voice message on uh, anchor.fm slash Reverend Babel. We'll play it on the show as long as it's family friendly, of course. Of course. And then we will see y'all next week. And thank you once again to Andrew Llewellyn for coming on to the podcast this week. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Cody, you go enjoy your ball game. I'm going home to wash this paint that's all over me. Bye.